All right, Jesus, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness. Um, we uh, pray that in this class that your name would be uh, glorified and exalted and that we would love and worship you more. We pray uh, that you would, uh, you are our uh, rabbi, you are our teacher. Pray that through your Holy Spirit that you would teach us. Pray that anything that's not true or not helpful, that it would, um, that it would fall away and, and be forgotten. And so, uh, yeah, we ask your prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, this is part three of a class um, about how social media affects our relationships. Um, the official title is um, the official title is what social media teaches kids, and then parenthetically and adults about relationships. And uh, we decided today uh, to bring the kids in uh, for the class. So. I'm going to adapt it a little bit, but don't worry, parents. I'll still, um, I'm still going to kind of give you some parent application kind of stuff. Kids, um, sometimes we'll do this where we we have like an adult, teenager combined class. That's so that when you're an adult, um, in uh, you know when you're like 19, 20, gone off to college, gone into the real world, you actually know what it's like to go to a Sunday school class with adults. So it's part of your education. All right. Um, anyhow, so. Today we're going to talk about uh, how social media teaches us um, uh, to objectify and marginalize people, and so that's going to be the the basic um, the basic just today. And so um, to start out, just as a little definition of what do I what do I mean by objectification? Um, when we're talking about objectifying people, uh, we're talking about I just defined it as seeing people as less than God, less than God sees them, seeing uh, people as less than they are. In, uh, in the image of God, as people made in the image of God with the full dignity of being created by God. And so, um, and so we're going to talk about how social media kind of quietly conditions us to see people in a manner uh, that is less than how God sees them. And so, um, you know, and, and so that's, that's kind of where we're going to go. And so to start, the kind of the, the roadmap of where we're going is um, we're going to talk about um, the dignity of people uh, and, and the structure of redemptive history. That'll make sense in a second. We're going to look at contrast how social media conditions us to relate to people as compared to the way that Jesus related to people. Um, and then we'll, um, we'll look at a couple of, we'll, we'll kind of talk about some applications and, 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 and talk about that contrast. Um, but anyhow, so to start here, um, first image here, if you've ever come to a Sunday school class that I lead, I pull this image up maybe one out of two classes. It's just very, very helpful. Um, and so this is the structure of what we call redemptive history. And uh, this is kind of the structure of, um, of kind of the phases of, of how things have gone forward in the Bible. So we have creation, and then we have the fall, then we have redemption, and we have glorification, and that's kind of that's kind of like a structure for thinking about um, thinking about like the direction or the movement of, of of mankind under God. And so we're gonna we can look at creation, fall, redemption, glorification uh, in a lot of different ways in terms of relationships, in terms of how we relate to creation, so on and so forth. Today we're gonna look at it in terms of human dignity, and so. When we start talking about creation, this is, you know, at the beginning of the Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, this is, um, this is, you know, before the fall, before human sin, 
Becca, come on in. Come on. No, don't pass. Come on. There's a seat right over here. It's got your name on it. Um, sure. Alpha guys don't quit that easy. Come on, girl. Um, all right. So we're we're all, we're all friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you can't tell. All right. So um, so anyhow, with creation, God makes man. And in Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our image. In our image, let us make him. And so God, God makes man in a, in, a, in a manner that's special as compared to the rest of creation. Um, we see that first off in the way that God makes man in his image. Uh, and so what, you know, what, does, what does that mean when we say that, that man is made in his image? It means a couple of things. First thing, it means that man is kind of like God. Uh, and by that, you know, and it's interesting that in Genesis 1, when, when God says, let us make man in our image, uh, most commentators see that as God is the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the plurality of people there, um, saying, saying like, let us, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. So that God is Trinitarian, that tells us that, that, man is, that God is inherently relational, and so that tells us that man is um, man is made for relationship. He's made for communion with God and with other people and with self and with creation. And so um, and so with that being said, in creation, uh, man is made with a special dignity. We also see that God breathes life into man. He doesn't do that with the other facets of creation, but God puts His mouth on man and breathes life into him. Okay. And so with that being said. Um, a person inherently has, whether they're a Christian or not, a person inherently has dignity, has worth, has value. Uh, a person inherently is sacred. And that, you know, if you talk about, hear about human rights or human dignity, that's kind of a popular buzzword in, in the West today in terms of people talking about human rights. And that is an idea that is unique and that originates with Judaism and with Christianity. You do not see in, in the history of human thought uh, the sacredness of man, the human dignity that starts with the Bible. Uh, and it was, it's very much uh, not believed in and uh, antagonized um, it, you know, throughout history, but you see that it's something that is a, a kind of a, an idea that originates with, 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 with Judaism and Christianity. Okay, so with that being said, after the fall, uh, human dignity is assaulted. The fall, uh, it damages humanity. Sin um, creates all kinds of problems. And it particularly creates problems in the way that humanity views one another. Remember, when Eve is created, Adam says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You know, like, this is the most magnificent thing that I've ever seen in my life. All right, well, remember after Adam and Eve sin in the garden and God comes and confronts them, how does Adam refer to Eve? That woman. That woman. Yeah, that woman. Very much like very condescending, demeaning, and marginalizing. And we see that as kind of, uh, that's kind of because of the fall, that tends to be the natural way that we view human beings. We view human beings less than what they were created to be. And we live as less than we were created to be. Uh, that's the term, and I apologize if you work in human resources. I don't mean to insult you or 
uh, <laughs> insult you or, or uh, attack your profession, but think about the term human resources. Like to me, that is very demeaning and very, uh, it makes people into like a commodity, uh, you know, like that we can use for outcomes. And so um, we see, you know, we see uh, evidence of um, how humanity is kind of lessened by the fall throughout the world. I mean, we see it in human trafficking. Uh, we see it in slavery. Um, we see it in the way that, uh, that corporations treat people. We, we see it in the way that we just naturally kind of relate to folks. And so, um, so anyhow, so this is a product of the fall. And so redemption, um, redemption starts, you know, it doesn't start with Jesus. Um, redemption in the Bible, really you could say it starts in Genesis 3 and Genesis 3.10, but really redemptive history begins with, in, in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. When God comes to Abraham and he says, I will bless you in order to be a blessing to all the nations. And so what you see is this trend, and, it, and you see it majorly consummated in Jesus to restore human dignity, to restore people to what they were meant to be in the creation. Um, and, so, and so that's a lot of what we're going to look at today is how Jesus, uh, and this, some people, uh, the word sanctification, some people define sanctification as like becoming more like Jesus. That's a good definition. Some people define it as becoming more moral. That's a part of it, but that's not the entirety of it. But another way to think about sanctification is Jesus making to us into what we are intended to be in the creation, but what we are less than because of the fall, because of human sin. Okay, and so um, and so glorification is just like heaven and the restored earth. How we are we are perfected. We are we are back to where we were there, but actually we're even better. And so so what I want to talk about is how social media tends to lead us to view people um, stuck in the fall. It tends to subvert and undermine what Jesus is trying to do, what God is trying to do through the Holy Spirit, and that is restore people and dignify people and affirm their value and to lead them into communion with God, with other people, and with themselves. And so social media, and hey, we all know they're good, you know, social media is not all bad, right? It's not all bad. Um, how many, you know, encouraging text messages have you received? Or how many times have you been led to an article that was like really, like maybe just really paradigm shifting, really changed your life? Um, or, you know, and it's kind of fun to see like people who you don't really keep up with, to kind of see their kids or their lives or see what's going on with them, you know, from a distance. It's not all bad, right? Um, but, and this is particularly for the kids, we just need to be kind of aware of the bad stuff. We don't want to kind of um, just unconsciously and blindly uh, use social media without considering, like, huh, how this, how may this be, um, how may this be affecting me negatively? Okay. And so, one of the things I would say is that social media tends to lead us to view people superficially, just see them on the surface, just the image. Um, social media um, tends to dehumanize people. Uh, we don't see the full person. We don't see the full story. Uh, we just see what's in front of us. And uh, it, it leads us to make, um, to make judgments of people, to make shallow judgments of people. Um, just what we see on Instagram, just what we see on Facebook, um, you know, so on and so forth. And so, 
uh, as I said, social media leads us to keep people stuck in the fall. Um, and yeah, okay, so I've said that. <laughs> All right, so some examples. Uh, an example of this. Uh, perfect pictures on Facebook, right? We all know them. We all put them up. I'm not going to say anything about our Instagram account, um, but I just want to tell you, my family is not that perfect. Like, and it's just not right. And so, and I know with with uh, you know with young people, they're ten, you know I, I we my uh, this is a person who lives far away, and we don't really know them that well, but we know somebody who. Their, their Instagram account, their, the husband and wife, they're in their 20s. I mean, it looks amazing, right? They're both really nice looking, and every picture is, like, so perfect. And someone asked, like, man, like, how do you get these perfect pictures? And they're like, oh, well, what we do is we usually take anywhere between 75 to 150 pictures. <laughs> and then we, of the, you know, average 100 images we take, we just procure the best one. Okay. And so if you follow them on Instagram, I don't, I don't do Instagram, um, just not my thing. Uh, that's not a statement of superiority. That's a statement of, I, I can hardly tie my shoes, much less, you know, get an Instagram account. I'm not really interested in it. But anyhow, but if you follow them on Instagram, and my wife has shown me their, their account, like you'd, you'd hate them. <laughs> they're disgusting, you know? Everything is so perfect. They're always in these really fun places, you know, and so happy, and their hair is, uh, oh, honey, I'm totally, totally, you're going to be so mad at me. And, uh, you know, the hair is always wonderful. I'm talking about someone's Instagram account where they take, like, 75 to 100 pictures and everything always looks perfect. A friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. Anyhow, and, uh, anyhow, so if you follow them on Instagram... You would tend to either think like, God, they're so perfect. You know, like, gosh, they don't have any problems. Their life is so wonderful. Or you would hate them. Or both. Right? You'd just be like, ah, man, my life's not like that. Like, man, I wish my hair looked half that good. Um, and anyhow, but here's the thing. That's because you're relating to them just based on images. You're, you're not seeing, like, what's going on behind closed doors. You're not seeing, you know, what their whole life story is. And so as a result, you're just, you're, you're relating to them less than a person made by, made in the image of God, full of human dignity, full of the beauty and sacredness of God. Uh, another example, Facebook screamers. Facebook screamers. The people who post a dozen inflammatory political articles a day. And it's interesting, I read an article Oh, I can't remember the publication, but the title of it was The Death, uh, it said 2016, The Death of Facebook. Because it was such uh, an intense political year, so many people were, were posting either offensive or obnoxious or, uh, you know, just annoying articles on Facebook that people just got tired of it. People got tired of it, and so a lot of people shut down Facebook and they went over to Instagram because they were tired of all of the drama and, and, and the intensity and the hostility and so on and so forth. And so we all, everyone knows the Facebook screamer, the person who posts all the, you know, they're either on the left or on the right, and they, are, they always are posting links. They see Facebook is, and sorry, if this is you, I'm about, I'm about to, you know, affirm your dignity here. Um, but anyhow, they see their Facebook account as a um, as a platform for social advocacy or political advocacy, right? And hey, there's nothing entirely wrong with that. Okay, I'm, uh, that's that can be a, a a good thing. 
Um, I've done it a time or two myself. Uh, but a lot of times what we tend to do is just judge those people as, oh, she's just that angry feminist. Or like, he's just that angry white man. There he goes. Yep. He's building that wall. Anyhow, and so we can, so we can basically see, just, just see the person as a very, you know, narrow, superficial judgment without knowing that there's a story behind that person's potential anger or there's a story, you know, behind their passion. And, you know, uh, I, I know a person who fits that description and I am one of the few people who knows that person suffered a significant trauma at the hands of a man when they were a child. And, and you know what, you don't, when you know that person's story, uh, you don't judge that person as much because you know this is coming uh, from, a, from a place of, of unbelievable trauma. And so with that being said, but, that's, but Facebook does not encourage us to do that. Facebook encourages us to take the to take the superficial judgment and walk away with that and put that person in a box. Okay, and so let's see if there are any others. I'd say the worst of these is pornography. Pornography isn't you know in the in the in the like realm of social media. It's not like Facebook or whatever, but it's but it's it's certainly out there, and you know it just very much leads us to dehumanize people, dehumanize women see people as an object uh, and so anyhow so that's another example of how um, how social media tends to encourage us to view people in the realm of the fall rather in the realm of redemption okay so what we're going to do is we're going to now look at um, we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to um, we're going to go to Luke 7 if you have a Bi- if you have a Bible on your chair or you have a Bible on your phone. We're in Luke chapter seven. We're going to look at two stories. Um, we're going to look at two stories that um, where Jesus, in particular, is relating to women, and we're going to look at how uh, these are people who they are superficially judged, and Jesus uh, relates to them in terms of redemption. He is restoring their dignity. Um, he is seeing the whole person. Luke chapter seven. We're going to start in verse thirty-six. Um, this, if you're if you're looking, Luke is probably eighty percent of the way. It's in the the right hand of the Bible, near the end. Um, okay, so Luke chapter seven, verse thirty-six through fifty. Is there someone who would um, who would mind reading for me? <coughs> Tommy, would you? Thank you so much. Yeah, 36 through 50. And this is the story where a sinful woman comes in. And you know, actually, Tommy, I probably better read it because I'm going to go line by line and kind of talk about each section. My bad. Sorry, man. Yeah, offer retracted. Okay, so this is a story where Jesus is having dinner with... um, Actually, I'm going to have you read it and I'll just stop you. Um, (laughs) Jesus is having having, uh, dinner with Pharisees and a woman comes in and she, you know, breaks a, a, a jar of um, perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet, and then she cries on his feet, and she's washing his feet with her hair. And so, um, and you're going to take notice how the Pharisees regard and judge judge the woman, and notice how Jesus relates to 
and regards the woman. Um, okay, Tommy, will you read verse uh, 36 through 38? Yes. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Great. Keep on going through verse 40, if you would. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, but she is a sinner. Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Okay, so first thing to notice, what is what is generally the image of the Pharisees in the New Testament? If anyone knows, the Pharisees were uh, they were religious leaders. They tended to be all about the rules, um, and they were yeah. What was how do we normally view the Pharisees? Self-righteous. Yeah, self righteous. What did you say, Rita? The law. The law. Anyone else have a word? Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? That's right. Their moral Facebook page, exactly. <laughs> What's that? Judgmental. Judgmental, right. Okay. So these people have a very negative image. Okay. Well, I think something to notice is that Jesus is having dinner with the Pharisees. A lot. The temptation is for us to think like, oh, the Pharisees. You know, these people were awful. Jesus was in battle with them. Jesus was taking them down. Okay. And that's true. That is true. Jesus was constantly kind of correcting them and rebuking them as religious leaders. But notice, Jesus is having dinner with them, okay? We want, we would naturally want to, in our flesh, dehumanize and marginalize the Pharisees, right? When people are on a different political spectrum than we are, and we think they're so wrong, we tend to like feel like it's excusable for us to talk about them negatively. So if you're on the conservative side, for whatever reason, it's okay to like demean Hillary Clinton with your words during the election. And if you're on the progressive side, it's totally acceptable to call, you know, Donald Trump the devil or Hitler or Satan or whatever. And like, no matter what you think of their views, their policies, they are both people made in the image of God, like full of dignity, who are of so much value to God that he would give, like Jesus died for Donald Trump. Like Jesus Christ died for Hillary Clinton. All right, and so first thing I would point out here is that Jesus is in fellowship with the Pharisees. That's something to notice. So then the woman comes in, and uh, and it says that she was a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now this does not mean that she was just like a sinner, like we're all sinners, right? This means that she was kind of notoriously known for being a sinner. She was almost definitely a prostitute, okay? And so she was known in that way. And so um, and so she comes in at Jesus' feet, and she just is worshiping him. I mean, she, and and by the way, most commentators think that Jesus probably had an encounter with this woman before this moment. She isn't just kind of like, this probably isn't her first time to come in and and just lay it all down before Jesus. It is, a, a lot of commentators think that Jesus probably encountered her, you know, offered the gospel to her, and that she is coming in in response to that. This is like a second encounter. This is her response to a first encounter of forgiveness and of love and compassion. All right. And so, um, and so think about this. 
So this dinner party that they're having, it was it was the kind of deal where people would sit around and talk about high ideals and, and so on and so forth. And people would sometimes kind of like sit around outside the doors and just kind of listen, eavesdrop, and that was okay. So imagine for a woman who was a prostitute, who had this kind of reputation, to walk into the house of a Pharisee and to, you know, to to wipe the feet of Jesus with her hair. Talk about incredible exposure, right? Talk about humiliating, but talk about like really courageous and really bold, right? And so we see that like this woman's humanity is being restored. Um, this is actually uh, this is actually a, a, a response that's against shame because she's kind of going towards community. And so so anyhow, so we see that. And then what is what is the Pharisee's response? If this man, if Jesus were a prophet, he would have he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. The uh, one um, and so notice how notice how the Pharisee in his mind is regarding her. She's a sinner, right? She's a prostitute, uh, and and that's like that's it, right? The, the Pharisee's not like anyone. Anyone here ever seen the movie Les Mis or the play Les Mis? Sorry. We all know the story of uh, Fontaine, the prostitute. Yeah, but we all know her whole story, right? About how uh, you know a guy got her pregnant and then left her, and she was working in a fast factory, and she was sexually harassed, and she was you know unjustly fired, and she has a daughter, you know, who's being kept at an inn, and the people are financially exploiting her and lying to her, saying that the girl is sick to try to get more money out of her. So she, in order to try to save her daughter's life. She has nowhere else to turn and she becomes a prostitute, right? And so when we see, you know, Fontaine, the, the prostitute in Les Mis, like we're, we are full of compassion because we know her story, right? We know everything that's come before. Well, not the Pharisee. He's just like, whore. She's a whore. And that's it, you know? There's no compassion there. Okay, now let's see how Jesus, and, and by the way, he just uses a label. She's a sinner. Puts her in a little box, throws a label on her, Sinner, right? We do that a lot. We, we, we do that all the time. Okay, keep on going. Okay. Uh, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell the teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Going. Yeah, keep on going. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay, great. Thank you. All right, so first off, Jesus does not refer to her as a sinner. Um, Jesus refers to her as a woman, you know, as a human being, as a person. And, um, and so Jesus then um, goes in and he, um, 
goes in and tells this parable. Before I talk about that, though, something that's important to note is Jesus, you know, how does Jesus know what the Pharisee Simon is thinking? He's God, right? He's God. So he knows everything about the woman. He knows every moment of her life. He knows, you know, he knows all of her thoughts. He knows all, he knows everything about Simon too. But he has the full, the, the full picture. He has all the information, right? So Jesus can make a valid judgment because he is God. Simon Peter and us as human beings, like, we only know a fraction of the whole story, of a, of a person's entire story. So we are just never in a, this is, I think, part of why Jesus tells us not to judge people is because we just don't know. We just don't know. And so, um, and so that's why Jesus frees us up frees us up from having to judge people. Like, Jesus has got that covered. Like, he's going to do that properly. Um, I, again, I'm not saying... You can, make, you can make judgments about behaviors. You can make judgments about, uh, about views and issues and causes. You can make judgments about that. That's okay. But I'm talking about the person, like the human being. We don't make judgments about human beings. Jesus has freed us up to be compassionate towards human beings. All right, so then he tells this story... And you know he's 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 basically uh, elevating her. He's like, look, Simon, like you're a Pharisee, she's a prostitute, but she gets it. Like she has come to me, she is worshiping me, she is she is humble, she is a humble person. And so you can see in terms of like Jesus redeeming people, Jesus is elevating her. He's he's like. In a, in a crowd of people, he's holding her up as an example of godly humility, which is the way into the kingdom of God, which is the way into greatness in God's kingdom. And so you can see, you know, how he is, he is um, dignifying her. All right, so then at the end, and something also too that's kind of interesting is Simon, you know, Simon's like, hey, Jesus, do you see this woman? And he, Simon thinks he's either not a prophet or he doesn't see her. Because if he saw her, he would reject her. And Jesus says, I see her. Like, I acknowledge her, right? And I think that is something, I think for most people, I think it's part of a lot of what drives uh, our social media. Is everyone has this desire to be seen. We all want to be seen and known. You know, and, 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 and the thing is, is like, when we realize that God, like Jesus in the story, like sees and knows us completely, um, our need to be affirmed by and noticed by other people is reduced, because we have we are fully seen, fully known, and fully accepted by God. Like that's the gospel. He knows all your dirty business, but through Christ, He loves and accepts you just as you are. All right. Okay. So then, to finish that off, Jesus finishes off and He says to the woman, "Go in peace." Like, go in peace. And the, the term peace here refers to this state of, like, peace between a person and God because you know that your sins have been forgiven. He says your faith has saved you. And so he is saying to this woman, like, you know, effectively, you are an adopted daughter of God. You're an adopted daughter of the king. And so the ultimate way that he redeems and restores her is to pronounce to her, that her sins are forgiven and that she is permanently and forever accepted by God. The gospel is what is what really dignifies this person and 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 tries to restore her to this place where she was intended to be in creation and where she ultimately will be in glorification. And that that applies and is true for us too. All right, I'm not going to do John chapter four, but you should check that one out. It's a goodie. Um, let me do the next one. 
So, and let's do one more. And let's do another one. And there we go. Okay, oh, sorry, one more. All right, great. I'm going to land the plane here. Um, all right, so trends that we see here in the way that Jesus relates to these people. And sorry, John chapter 4 is the story of the woman at the well. And it's a similar kind of story in that you have a woman who is either probably a prostitute. If not, she's been married and divorced like six times. And in, in John chapter 4, Jesus sits down with her and he asks her, like, will you give me water? And so the, uh, and, you know, the thing is, is this, she's a woman, she's a prostitute, and she's a Samaritan. All right, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. It's crazy that Jesus would walk through Samaria. Most Jews, when they had to go somewhere and they would, it would be, make most sense to walk through Samaria, they'd just walk all the way around. They didn't want to touch Samaria. They hated Samaritans. And then secondly, uh, women were you know, considered dogs. They were considered, they, there was a Jewish prayer, dear God, thank you that I am neither a woman nor a Gentile nor a dog. Like those three were equated. Okay? And so women had no civil rights. Uh, and what you see, and I know this is going to, this, this, this is something just to kids to keep in your pocket when you go to college because you're going to be told that Christianity is misogynistic, which means it hates women. And actually, you see that Christianity in its context is actually very feministic because uh, you see Jesus restoring the dignity of women, talking to women like they're real people. Amazing, right? That was radical. That was radical, radically progressive back in the ancient Near East, okay? All right, so point here in that is you see that that's important for us um, important for us to, to know as we talk about these applications because in that story, Jesus is talking to the woman and he says, like, hey, I know your whole story. Like, I know you've been married, you know, six times or you've been divorced five times. I know the man you're living with right now is not your husband. And, you know, I know that you're kind of notorious and negatively notorious in the town. And so, so with that being said, when we look at those two stories, we see that trends in the way that Jesus relates to people. We see that Jesus sees people as full human beings made in the image of God, whereas social media trains you to see people as images and snapshots, partially human. All right, and so it is helpful for us to just kind of like remind ourselves that every, like every person is a human being. Like every person was made by God. Every person is sacred and has dignity because of that. Every person. Um, every person. All right, secondly, you see that Jesus doesn't judge the people. He first shows compassion and he accepts them. Um, you know, Jesus is very sympathetic to the woman at the well. Like no one would hang out with her. And Jesus sits down with her and understands her and he reveals to her that he's the Messiah, which is like something you rarely see in the Gospels. So she gets like the inside inside scoop of all inside scoops. Hey, by the way, I'm the Messiah. Uh, and so you can see like how he how compassionate he is towards her, how he accepts her in her sin. Social media tends to facilitate judgment. I, I mean, I think part of the reason I don't do Facebook or, or Instagram is because I just feel like I'm just judging people all the time, either based on their politics or, you know, uh, based on, oh, so perfect, yeah, vomit, whatever. Anyhow, um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of, for me, it's like a judgment machine. I tend to be naturally judgmental. So with that being said, uh, social media tends to kind of exacerbate that human tendency, that human sin. Um, finally, we see Jesus sees people with their whole, within their whole story the good and the bad, because he is God and he knows all. And so um, I think if there's, uh, yeah, well, let's go to, we'll go to applications. Um, 
All right, so getting practical here to finish this. All right, the first thing uh, is it is very helpful for us in situations, particularly when we're angry with people and frustrated with people, to remind ourselves this is a human being uh, made in the image of God um, that is of value that God would die for them. Tomorrow, I'm going to call Express Scripts, which is uh, the prescription company that can never do anything right. Uh, Express Scripts is like the playbook for overall incompetence. I've never had an interaction with Express Scripts where they didn't screw something up, where they didn't send my medicine to the wrong address, or they've never delivered anything on time. Uh, I one time had like nine different customer service people give me different answers for the same question. And I, last night, was thinking about calling Express Scripts. Lauren can, uh, uh, can affirm this. I was thinking about calling Express Scripts on Monday and letting the full rage of Cameron Cole just, like, come out. I'm like, you know, I w- I'm waking up to scream at somebody, and whoever answers the phone, like, this is your day, all right? <laughs> and I do. I want to be like, I want you to know you work for the most incompetent company in the world. You people are a bunch of idiots. You can never do anything right. And I am out of medicine, and I'm sure, once again, that y'all have blown it, and I'm not going to get my medicine for another week, right? So, so let's, just, let's just get that out on the table to start the conversation, right? Happy Monday morning from your local pastor, right? Um, that is, that's me. I'm just going to be totally honest. I'm a sinner, right? And the thing that will, besides the grace, of the Holy, grace and power of the Holy Spirit, that is going to prevent me from doing that is that I taught this lesson today. And that I'm going to have to remind myself before I get on the phone that the person on the other line, I have no idea what their story is, and I, but I do know that they are someone that Jesus Christ died for. Someone who God made with a purpose, whose life God superintended before the foundation of the world. Okay, So that's the first thing. Every single person, we have to remember that. Secondly, we have to remember the compassion Christ has shown for us in order to relate to people out of compassion rather than judgment. You know, if we can't see ourselves as sinful as the prostitute who comes into the room, uh, as people who are just as lost as her, then we're not going to be able to have compassion towards the prostitute. If we can't see ourselves as just as judgmental as the Pharisee, uh, you know, just as blind to our own sin, our own faults, and yet Jesus loves and accepts us, he dies for us, he lives for us, he rises for us, we're not going to be able to relate to them compassionately. So it helps us to remember God's compassion towards us when, when we were sinners, enemies of God, and that enables us to be compassionate towards other people. Um, finally, we always have to probe for the story. Um, we always have to assume that we don't know a person's full story. And we're going to have to do that. We have to do that by faith. Um, we have to do that by faith uh, because we're not God. We're never going to be able to do that. I um, I got, you know, when you teach uh, in front of groups, um, there will be people who disagree with you. <laughs> and, uh, and, and sometimes those people like to send really angry emails to you. <laughs> uh, one time someone sent me, an, a, a, an adult woman, um, did not agree with my position on a certain theological topic. I didn't think it was a particularly controversial one. But she did. And she sent me the nastiest, meanest text message I have ever received in my life. Like, it was, it was wicked how mean it was and demeaning and things she pulled from my story 
to try to like shame me. It was awful. Okay. And so one thought went through my mind was, boy, imagine if I cut and paste this text and I put it on Facebook. (laughs) Your little reputation would be ruined. Anyhow, that was one thought. Another thought was I want to come back to her with just like, you know, power and force. I want to, I want to just, I want to break you down. Because based on what you just said, I can do that and I want to humiliate you and I want to shame you. Okay? And so I'm praying about this. By the way, this is for everyone, but kids, if you're angry, do not ever send a text message or an email. Don't, don't do it. Put it down, walk away, give it at least 24, maybe 48 hours, and don't send anything until you've let somebody else read it. Okay? Just little, little practical wisdom there. So I decided I needed to probably take two weeks before I considered responding. <laughs> I was that mad. And so I prayed. I prayed about it. And this is what the Lord finally kind of said to me. He said, if you knew this woman's full story, I promise you, you would be compassionate towards her and you would not be upset by what she sent you. That, that was, that, I mean, it wasn't those words. It wasn't like, you know, God called me or anything like that. But that was kind of like the impression that God gave me. If I knew the person's full story then I would, I would be able to let this kind of fly off a little more easy, right? And I don't know her story. I don't know her story. And so I just have to trust the Lord with that. And so consequently, um, we, wanna, we want to, when it comes to Facebook or just people in general, we want to try to consider, hmm, maybe this is, this is this person's story. Maybe this is what's going on with them, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and, 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 and to basically, we want to work and think creatively with the help of the Holy Spirit until we get to a place where we can feel compassion and empathy towards a person. Like that's, that is what it means to relate to people like Christ. That's what it means to relate to people compassionately because that, that's the way that Jesus is related to us. So I'll pray. I'm kind of out of time. You can leave. If you want to ask questions, feel free to hang around um, and share a Coke Zero. All right. Um, Jesus, uh, we really appreciate your compassion. We appreciate the way that you humanize us. And uh, in this room, I pray, um, I pray, Lord, that we would know just uh, how much you cherish our lives, how important we are to you. And, um, and I pray that we would all be growing into the, the full dignity, Lord. But, and, but I pray that we would do that in humility, um, knowing, that, knowing that that redemption as a product of, of your grace and knowing the, the price of the cross um, that was required uh, to lead us in that direction. So I ask these prayers in Jesus' name, amen.